Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. Um, my name is Kylie Miller and we've got a big group on, on the air today. Um, we have Dennis Burns in the, I guess at the Northeast Research Station in St. Joe. Yep. We have Mr. R.L. Frazier, and you said you were where? I'm in Lake Providence today. You're in Lake Providence. We also have Mr. Bruce Gardner, and Bruce, where are you at today? I'm in, in West Carroll Parish, headed to Morehouse. Uh-huh. So, and also we have Dr. David Mosley, which is which is in Deanley, so you're in Alexandria. And um, we've had you on on the air today, so we'll skip the whole big introductions. And but today, I guess we want the whole topic of what we got you here for is to talk about soybeans. And uh, we've kind of been getting some questions on when and at what point or stage we should be terminating um, irrigation on soybeans. Um, And I guess I'll let's start with that conversation. what do we need to be thinking about and going forward uh, when it comes to that? Yeah, the the biggest thing that I understand about terminating irrigation is most of your your pods and your seed, even especially on the to- on in these indeterminates on the top four nodes, needs to be at the R six point five growth stage. So this is going to be where you open it up and you can see the white membrane inside it has separated from the seed so r6 is where the seed has touched kind of squared off completely filled the the pod cavity that's r6 but then about 10 more days it's going to take to get to r6.5 and that is where that white membrane is separating if that happens then the seeds stop filling out and if that's on the top four nodes hopefully most of the pods are included mm-hmm. then you need well at this point you need less water so what i understand is you still up until even at r7 so that's when the pods start to turn uh, their mature color up into maturity it can still use about an inch of water per day so so then, so that if you can get to that R six and a half stage up on the top four nodes, and what I understand is if you have about sixty percent of your water holding capacity, if if your soil top two inches is about sixty percent full of water, at this point you can stop irrigating, and that should carry you into maturity. But if you get to R six and a half, and you're kind of droughty if if you do not irrigate one maybe that one more time then your seed size will start to be smaller at maturity so it still takes water even at r six and a half but if you have a decent amount of water at r six and a half then you might be fine i have a question at what point do we put out our harvest eggs that's going to be about the same answer, but you have to go according to the label. That's the tricky part about harvest aids. You have to follow the label. But what I can say is it's, it's the same thing as irrigation. 
as far as if you lose yield or not, if you apply before R six and a half, where the top four nodes are having the separation from the white membrane, if you apply before that, then you're going to lose seed size because mm -hmm. the seed hasn't quite filled out as much as they should. If you apply after that, then you should not lose seed size. Um, but the thing about R six and a half, the true, the top four nodes are done. The plant's going to start, it's already going to be senescing a little bit. So mm -hmm. you have to wait quite into, you know, farther than maybe you would imagine to apply. So you said it was, and let me back up again. You said it was 10 days from to get to six and a half? Yeah, if your top four nodes okay. have seed, that's R6. It's about 20 days to R7. So right about 10 days. And you'll see that on in the what I read. and. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about 10 days to our six and a half. OK, well, most everybody around here. Uh, when that seed separate, that membrane separates, you know. Uh, usually the harvest aids being applied because you have to wait. According to the label, you have to wait 14 days. Isn't it 15? Is it 15 days or 14? I don't think it's 14. I'd have to look. I, look, I, I think that works out because if the top is R six and a half, the bottom's probably already going to have a pod that's mature. So, mm -hmm. so that's what uh, they're and they do the whole field just to makes it easier on harvest. You know, mm -hmm. they can just go cut. So, uh, and we got beans. I got beans in tensile that were sprayed uh, on day Thursday. Must have been sprayed Monday, maybe or over the weekend. But I, I'm looking at this, this one to finish that one question. I'm looking at something right now. It's, it's I believe some research from Missouri, and if you get to R7, so you're you're probably at R6 and a half on top, and you're probably have a mature looking color pod on the bottom, and you do not have adequate water at this point. And this in this case is sandy soil. You can lose as high as three quarters of a bushel per acre per day on sandy soil. Okay. So, you know, I guess it, you know, it can add up if you, if we talk about 10 days there or, or so, I don't know, it could be five. I easily can see five bushels lost if you don't have adequate water at that R six and a half stage. Okay. Well, we, and, and I guess that's, you know, what we talk about filling out that seed um when we do it that last time so that it kind of makes sense um dennis you or was it dennis or rl that had a good question before we when we were discussing something before we got on there that remember the one where i had to tell y'all we're I'm not recording no, I forgot. <laughs> you should have written that down rl that was a good question it was a yeah. great question i thought but i can't remember who asked it it was rl what did I ask, Dennis? Oh, you asked me the. It says, "What did you ask me the other day?" Okay. On these oh yeah. Things, okay. Now, yeah. Go ahead. You, you got look, it. Yeah, you were looking at your core blocks or something. Yeah. That's what prompted it. Yeah, I was looking at the core blocks the other day, and big beautiful beans loaded from top to bottom, big pods, but the beans were flat still. Now again, didn't really try to determine what you know, stage of growth they was in. I'm just looking at pods and thinking, 
they need water on them, you know, and where are we at if they don't get rain or get irrigated? Uh, you know, we're, what, and I've seen a lot of them like this, you know, the bean, big pods, talking with a producer, big pods, flat beans. If, if we, well, we got these rains now, are they going to pick up the water and fill those pods or have we lost them? They're just going to be butter beans. Okay, so one thing we talked about is there there is a chance due to the high heat stress that the plant was it was progressing through its its seed fills a little bit slower and because if if the temperature gets much more than 85 the plant the soybean plant will stress and then at nighttime it's warmer than it should be it's going to it's going to expend more energy than it should so if it has less energy efficiency it's going to progress slower so hopefully it had it had not aborted those seed and it's just progressing slower it gets the rain the temperature drops a little bit it's going to it's going to pick back up and it's going to fill those seed out unfortunately it is also the possibility that the plant did not have enough energy to fill all the seed that it had initiated so the plant will abort it will adjust the energy that it has and it will abort some seed to have enough energy to fill out the remaining seed so it's hard to say but i hopefully it just slowed down <laughs> and, and not aborted good gives us something to hope for anyway <laughs> But okay. yeah, I can see that I, I've never seen it or never had it explained in beans to where to where I can understand it now. I know we had had this same thing back in early 2000s, you know, with corn, where we had the extreme heat uh, during the day and at night, and we we just had little nubbins, as we call them. And I, I'll never forget that day that producer called me to come look at I was riding with him on the combine and he said, son, this is my 32nd corn crop. And it's the first time in my life I've ever cut corn that the moisture was higher than the yield. Mm -hmm. Wow. I wrote, I wrote a letter for some guys that cut nine bushels. We were cutting 12. I mean, we're talking oh. about corn that was six and a half. I mean, it was six and a half, seven feet tall. You could see yep. the fertilized track. And he cut nine bushels. This corn had everything in the world done to it. Fungicide, anything you could think of. And you walk up and look at it, it was as beautiful a stand of corn as you ever want to see in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just didn't cut. Wasn't anything there to cut. What year was that? That was back in the early 2000s. I don't yeah, forgot like exactly when. It was in 2008 or nine. Yeah. Maybe I it was eight because I, I had just become county agent. I knew it was in my early career in Madison, yeah. so yeah. yeah, and I came in 07, so. Yeah. Um, David, you mentioned this, and, and I don't, it surprised me when you said it when we were talking about it earlier. 80, talk about this 85 degrees. Yeah, so that's the optimum temperature for soybean. Um, I think it's around 78 degrees maybe around 78 to 85 that's the optimum temperature mm -hmm. but if you get above 85 then 
the plant, the soybean plant will begin to stress. And it seems low, but that that's my understanding is eight, anything above, it'll start to stress. So, you know, we you can imagine we getting 85 lately, what time, like 10 in the morning? Yeah. 11 in the morning? Yeah. So it's, it's currently 81 in St. Joe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it <laughs> well, doesn't really. My watch says 81 too, so. And it doesn't get back below 85 till like nine o'clock at night, right? Right. And yeah. the sun's already down, so the, the photosynthesis process has already stopped at that time. Now, if you're hot in May and June, your highs are usually 92 or so on average. So you might not get to 85 until 12, 1 o'clock. So I don't know. We're, we're just talking here, but I, I can see where you're missing four, three to four optimum hours of growth compared to normal and I, I wrote a newsletter last month i looked may and june i looked at our temperatures that we had this year versus the kind of the 40-year average 40-year average and our highs and lows both were about four degrees higher than average mm -hmm. for those two months combined june might have been more because may was probably less so june was probably more and that's about when we started to initiate pods so right at the, one of the most critical times for the soybean plant, we're sitting at four degrees higher than normal. That's just, that's going to be heat stress. So if you have drought stress, it's going to make it worse for many reasons, but those are different stresses, heat and drought. Dave, you was talking about that 75, and I, and I, you may have said a little higher, but I rounded it 75 to 85, optimum yeah. temperature for soybeans. Now, some of these nights, we're pushing getting down to that 75 degrees at night here lately. So, the, basically, does that plant never get a chance to cool off and rest? And, you know, it's kind of, I'm saying rest. You know, quit trying to perspire and all that just to yeah. cool itself. So you're none of that's going to seed production. Well, you said the right thing about the respiration. See, at night, it's only respiring. It's not producing any energy. It's only using the energy that it already has. Mm -hmm. So if it's hotter, let's just say than average, if it's hotter than normal, it's going to spend more energy than normal. So if you look at the five-year yield average, and we're sitting at four degrees higher at night than normal, then it, you know, just, you can imagine it's spending more energy at night than it normally does. And then you turn around in the day and there's a good chance it's producing less energy than it normal. So <clears> if it's producing less energy in the day and it's spending more energy at night, then that's very inefficient. So I'm not saying it needs to get to the sixties for the plant to do well, I don't know that's true, yeah. but if it's hotter at night than normal, it's going to definitely be spending more energy at night than it normally does. So well, in other words, when I start having to bump my thermostat down on my air conditioner, <laughs> both day and night, the beans are suffering too. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> heard not people the say, suffering. <laughs> I, I've heard people say in the field, you know, if you don't, if you feel uncomfortable, the plant feels uncomfortable. 
I'll feel sorry for them suckers this year then. <laughs> David, yeah, this kind of begs, begs the question. Explain some stuff. Bruce, I think you had mentioned this in our pre-discussion before we went on the air, that we're seeing beans that's, that's being fire irrigated that's, that's shutting down. Yeah, and that, uh, that was... Yeah, we're seeing these beans that are that are got plenty of moisture, you know, in the ground, and we're just not seeing those pods, <clears throat> those mid to upper level pods, fill out. Um, and that you know that 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 goes back to answering the question, you know, about temperature. But that that kind of leads to a, another question, and and David, this may be kind of asking you to look into a crystal ball, but um. Would planting dates be something that we could, you know, as 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 because you mentioned we're looking at temperatures that are four degrees warmer than than average over a forty year period. Um, would planting dates at that point become that much more important to try to get these beans in the ground before we hit this hot weather? I would say on average. I would say on average. But the funny thing about planting date last year. Um, in Beauregard Parish, for example, if he if the farmer there would have planted in April, he would have struggled due to continuous rain and cold temperatures. He planted in mid-June, and he he had some of his better yield, yields in the last five years because it happened to cool off and rain throughout the year. But that but you can't go on exception. So on average. It, we know that mid-April is the right date. That's where, on average, we're going to have the highest yield year after year. What I see is if you plant maybe a week before the 1st of April, so that the third week of March, you you stand a chance to lose about five bushels per acre compared to mid-April. And the reason I believe is you have shorter day length at that time because the days are still getting longer. So you, you have a little bit shorter day length and you have cold temperatures. And I think these cold temperatures are going kind of reducing our nodulation or the initiation of nodulation. But okay, let's say you lose five bushels per acre. Well, if you plant into May, you're losing five bushels per acre or more. So I talked to people in Arkansas that are trying to plant and that's farther north. Mm -hmm. They're trying to plant mid-March. And I asked, well, I think you're losing yield. And they said, well, we can't plant everything in the mid-April. We just can't get it planted. So we go early. So that takes us away. We know we might lose yield either way. But we're trying to get away from the heat and the drought. Because that's a bigger risk if you have a really hot and dry year. So that 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 goes to say, if you think you might lose yield in in late March, you still might be better off than getting into May. But I I really believe that early to mid April is the is the correct planting date. I like that, David, because we don't need to make next year's planting decisions on this past year's temperature because we know how that flexes. You know, now if we get into three or four or five years of this, then yeah, we may consider getting earlier and earlier. But you know, there, there's gives and takes when you plant early or you plant late. Uh, 
you know, the old adage was, you know, this is ideal date. So you got to plan a week ahead <laughs> to get started. Get the bulk of it planted in that ideal range. And then you're going to have some on the tail end. You can't get it all planted in that ideal range, but that's <laughs> great. Another thing that we're seeing, Bruce, uh, you and I've talked about it. Actually, uh, Dr. Trey Price and I went and looked at some the other day. Uh, we're seeing lots of nematodes showing up in soybeans this year. I've seen several fields already kind of cutting out. Um, and, you know, it's that classic way, way it's cutting out. You know, I was going to mention that too. We're seeing it down here as well. Um, sandy ground, uh, lighter grounds per se, and you'll see it just in one area of the field. I, I got out and walked, looked at some the other day, trying to figure out what is it, what what just what was going on because it actually has shown up in a field that historically has not had nematode pressure. Um, and I was thinking maybe we had a watering issue. We either had water standing. Or, or we weren't getting water. Um, you know, I walked it and looked at it, and no, it's 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 not a watering issue. And you start start snatching up plants and looking at them, um, and there's there's the root knots showing up. So we actually went under the suspicion of taproot decline tree. The trade was called. I need to get the drone out there and take some some more pictures of the nematode plot, David, because you can really see some variety changes in it this year. That's really yeah. If you can get an aerial again, that yeah, would be great. It, 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 we need something from up up high because you can really see the you know the different varieties showing. But you know since, different since things. Since Kylie mentioned that, so I definitely say, you know, I work with Kylie and I work with Dr. Trist, Tristan Watson, the nematologist. So. He works on some, uh, you know, some nematicides, nematicides and stuff, but I, I work on variety testing. So I'll definitely say if you have nematode pressure, picking a, a variety that's resistant or tolerant to nematodes is your first defense. And I'm working with Kylie and Tristan to do these nematode screenings and also Dennis. Yeah, Dennis as well. And Bruce, most years we're doing. So we're definitely putting effort out there to identify these nematode resistant varieties um, that also yield as yield. So that's why we're doing it on the farm, not just a, we're doing a greenhouse as well, but greenhouse tells you only so much. So let's put it in the field and we can see if it holds up with resistant and yield. So that I think that's your first defense on these nematodes. Yeah, you I mean you can see it clear as day in the plots. I mean, if anybody wanted to come look at that, I mean, and of course you've got data from last year as well as pictures and and we're gonna be trying to do that again this year. But I would agree variety has shown to help you. So Yeah, Dennis and I done that years ago with uh Richard Ledlow over in Morehouse, Bruce. And it was amazing. You could see what, Dennis, we was as much as 15 bushels difference in some of them. It was, it was huge. You, you could uh, see to the row where it was. Exactly. Yeah. To the row. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I always, we, Dennis and I have always picked at Dr. Charlie Overstreet when he was getting ready to retire past nematologist. And, you know, we had dealt with them and kind of seemed like nematodes was a thing of the past. All the, 
but it's like we picking at him the well, the nematodes heard Charlie was retiring and they started coming back and been coming back. <laughs> you know, he butt dialed me the other day, so he's still he's still around. So <laughs> the day on something non nematode related and had a good conversation with Charlie. Look, the the best the best story about Charlie is Charlie grew all this fruit. He grew grapefruit, satsumas, oranges, mm-hmm. and he would show up at during you know at harvest and stuff and he'd he'd show up to get help to harvest and he always had a big bag you know of incentives you know he Christmas he came early. Yeah. Tristan he thinks, he Tristan said he was going to be working on trying to keep that legacy alive he was trying to plant some stuff but he knew yeah. he wasn't going to be like Charlie so but <laughs> he said he he was aware he was going to try to do that <laughs> yeah he's going he's going to have to Come up with something there, um, <laughs> but I got I got another question, um, and this came up from a phone call I got yesterday. Are y'all hearing anything? Anybody talking about uh, taproot decline? Uh, like I said, uh, Trey and I went and looked at that field. A consultant had called him on it, and thinking it was taproot decline, but it ended up being uh, nematodes. Yeah. So I think you're seeing the two this year showing up as uh, the dry weather has just made them more prevalent mm-hmm. you know good you know dennis we used to say nitrogen covered up a lot of flaws in corn yeah water covered up a lot of problems the last few years with <laughs> nematodes and uh tap root decline but i think it's they're both showing up and like bruce said the only way you can distinguish them you just got to go out there and dig up some plants and look at some roots well that's what I had a call yesterday and a grower described individual or two plants, you know, mm-hmm. and these are content. These are beans behind beans. And it was a success. It was on the high end of the what the ratings that Trey does, you know, it was it was on the high end. And uh, but what he described, I didn't go look at him. He just described them to me. And and I said that I told him what to go look for. But I said, that's. Pretty much what it's going to be if I had to guess. Yeah, yeah with, with taproot decline, just just if somebody's out there that hadn't, is, uh, may not be blessed with it in their field, let's, you know, we can talk about real quick about what to what to look for. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of insidious from the standpoint is you have a field that really, really looks good. And when you put a combine into it, all of a sudden yields off. And from what, what happened here? Um, in the last few years, in my two parishes where where it shows up, you know, you get out and start digging around the field, you'll have one plant that will be dead at standing, and it will be about, you know, these, you know, going into R R one, you know, but it'll be be 14, 15 inches tall, and that plant will be dead, and on plants on either side of it down the drill you'll start seeing um, symptomology of, of, of a sick plant. Uh, almost to the to the plant, when you pull up that dead plant, you'll find a piece of crop residue from the previous year laid up next to that root um, of that soybean plant, the, the dead one. And then down that drill on either side, five to six to seven feet, you'll have plants that won't have um, either have pods or they'll be sick. 
um, and you go down a little bit further than it and everything's fine. So if you, if you start start seeing that, sometimes you really have to get out and look for that one dead plant, and that's kind of the that's kind of the dead giveaway is if you can find that one dead plant and start looking down the drill. Um, if you go every every five feet or so, you've got dead plants, or maybe even further down the road. Um, that's that telltale sign of, of taproot decline. Um, so if you're if you're seeing that in the field. Um, you might want to look at this next year, um, either doing uh, corn in that field if possible, because that's one of the one of what is, is crop rotation. But beans behind beans behind beans is where we really see it. Um, and there's some varieties out there. I think the Trey's done some work on yeah. that are that are um, less less susceptible to it. Yeah, every year he takes the OBT varieties and he does a taproot decline resistance trial and that's going to be in the book the variety book that's that's one of those one of those um plant pathologies that really is 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 sneaky um you'll look at a field and think well i've got a really good stand of beans here everything's looking real good but when you start pulling out five or six feet at a whack that doesn't have any beans in it and every 50 feet you have a section of that in, in a row you start doing the math on what you're losing across that field and you see some fairly major yield reductions um in a hurry and the the the, the big pain about it is that you usually don't see that until you put the combine in the field mm-hmm. um yeah you know that's it what you're saying bruce is just emphasizing <clears throat> when you look at these variety trial tables and all that stuff don't look just look at the highest yielding look at that's, some of the other stuff that's right Good point. You know, it's there's there's sometimes there's more to it than just high yield. You know, yeah, you I, have to defend that yield. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that racehorse is 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 not worth the um mm-hmm. the the coddling you have to do to it. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have that you know that one that'll pull real hard all the time for me than than a racehorse mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Well, um, I guess moving to closing, um, David, I was going to let you talk about the crop school this afternoon. Uh, what do y'all have planned? Yes, yeah, so I, I starts at four. Um, could be three thirty, three thirty to four. What we're going to meet at the evac center, just south of the research station, and go, hopefully go out to the field. We rained all night, all day yesterday during our agent training, but. If it's not raining and we're able to, we'll go look at the plots with the idea of you know, letting people get into the plots, look at them. And we have everyone here that, work, I guess, everyone that works here, maybe some people invited from outside, but we have a lot of people talking about all different disciplines. I hope to talk about a seed treatment trial that I'm doing. It, it actually includes biological seed treatments and also humic acid. Um, you know, historically, we've always kind of thought none of these additives work. But I'm working with soybean specialists across the nation, I believe 19 states, and we're all putting the same seed treatments. So we should be able to see if any of these biologicals can help. And if they can, then I'm excited because I think anything we can have we can show the farmer can help with the yield. If it's economical, 
you know, it's not, it's one thing to increase yield, but it has to be economical. But if it is, I want to be able to show that. So that's what I'm talking about. And we have people talking about pathology and entomology and weed science. So it, it should be a good. Sounds like you've got a good program set up. <clears throat> and I guess to close, the only thing, I guess, field days coming up, um, I guess would be the sweet potato field day, which is going to be August 18th, um, and that'll be there in Chase. And then September 15th is uh, beef and forage field day, and that's up y'all's way, right? That's in uh, Bastrop this year, yeah, if Bastrop, I remember right. And Marouge, yeah. Marouge, yeah. J&S Cattle. That's the name uh, of the location. Kylie, I got one more. Go ahead. We're, kind of, we're gonna have Nick at the Northeast Research Station next Thursday, the 11th, and start early in the morning at 7:30. We've kind of put together a, a row rice tour and soil health tour. Uh, we had some people ask for some information, and so we put together. It's kind of been, I guess, what in the last two or three weeks, it's kind of come together just. Uh, after we canceled the one in the summer, we really didn't have a lot to look at. And hopefully the plots look good now. And I think we'll have some stuff to look at now. And then we were asked to do something. And so uh, it's next Thursday, the 11th here at the Northeast Station, starting at 730 in the morning. We'll have we'll go to the field and then we'll come back. And when it's it, as it gets above that 85 degrees, we're going to go out and we're going to come back to the office and have some inside presentations. So. Yeah, see, if you're stressing, the plant's stressing. That's right. Well, but you can't take them inside, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just, uh, that's what we're going to do, but it'll be here, so. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, David, we really appreciate you joining us today. You're always welcome anytime you'd like to come back and share anything with us, but we appreciate your time. And if anybody's looking to get in touch with him, you can give us a call and we've got all his information, but he's there in, in Alexandria at the Dean Lee Research Station. Thank but um, again, thank, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Appreciate it. Thanks. Very good. Thank uh, you. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension.